It's kind of like you bring your life into breath work and then you can bring breath work back into your life and shift your life. So it's kind of like this wonderful circle. You know, life doesn't happen in your head. It happens like in your body, in the moment, what you're currently experiencing. What's happening? Welcome back to the Breath Circle podcast. We are Honey and Phil, and today's episode is truly special because we have a legend for you. It is Michael Stone. Who's Michael Stone, Phil? Oh, he is indeed a legend, and he actually trained with Stanislav Grof back in the mm. day. And Michael has a practice around holotropic breath work that he does around LA. It's an in-person practice. And then he's also created a modality that he calls neurodynamic breath work, which he facilitates online. And he's got breathers from all over the world. There's actually 110 different countries or so that have already participated in his neurodynamic breath work sessions. Yeah, it's crazy. I remember when I first did his online session back in like October or November of last year, I think there were maybe like, 40 or 50 people on the calls and I think maybe 70 people max or something I don't know but now during corona times holy shit like he's got I think one he did just recently it was 600 people I think like crazy crazy amounts of people but normally I think it's at least a couple of hundred the normal sessions and wow yeah and I was on a session with him recently where we almost capped out the zoom limit of a thousand people so it is just oh, really taken wow. off yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's taken off, but I also have to say the way he sets it up and it's um, the way he introduces breath work each time, like he does them every day and he does such a good job at managing um, all these people and he has helpers and other facilitators on the call. Like it's really, really cool. But yeah, Michael was also my very first breath work um, teacher a couple of years ago. And so He's just, he's a special kind of man with a lot of experience and a lot of cool stuff to share. So, oh, we talked about so much good stuff, didn't we, Phil? Yeah, it was a juicy, juicy episode. And uh, it was one of those that just didn't, didn't want it to end. Went way back, actually, to Michael's early days. He actually studied chemical engineering and he considers himself such a science geek. And, and, and that very much has fed into his understanding of breath work and the science of it. And honestly, we, we just scratched the surface in, in getting into that. I think there's probably going to be a whole new episode, a whole separate episode on just the science of breath work. We also talked a bit about the psyche and the ego mind and just how the mind works when it comes to breath work. And, and, and particularly as Connie was starting to get into just now the music and you know, Michael's just a professional DJ <laughs> really at the end of the day, in addition to everything he does, because his sound system that he uses, you know, with, with his in-person breathwork sessions, but also really when we talk about online breathwork, the playlist being so carefully designed and just creating that safe container, allowing for people to, to, to be really comfortable and create that kind of energetic net of breathers, as he calls it, it's, it's just so awesome. We also got into some of the training that Michael's doing right now. And Connie, why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Because that's obviously a big part of our life. Yeah, so both 
uh, Phil and I, we signed up for his facilitator training that starts in July, so not far away. And I had originally signed up for a different training, but then Corona happened, and, and then I saw Michael offering a six-month uh, teacher training starting in July and finishing in January, and it's most of it is, is online, but then there's an offline in-person part in, in January in California. And yeah, it was just so clear that I was just going to do that um, as it came up. And I'm super stoked. And then Phil signed up as well. And it's going to be a nice wild ride into breathwork. So yeah, it's a juicy episode, this one, because Michael is just uh, so full of amazing knowledge. And as I said, a lot of experience. I really encourage you guys to get in touch with Michael. So head on over to breathworkonline.com and read all about him and get in touch. So I really hope you enjoy this one. Actually, I know you're going to really enjoy this one. So have fun, enjoy, and um, let us know what you think. Here we go. Let's jump right in, guys. Welcome to the Breath Circle Podcast, Michael. So happy to have you. <laughs> oh, thank you for having me. Yeah, this is really exciting because, you know, I had my very first breathwork session with you. I think it was about two or three years ago in your house in Venice Beach. And uh, I'll never forget that experience. It was very special. And you probably had the best sound system I've ever encountered outside of the clubs <laughs> here in Berlin. <laughs> um, so that, that was really beautiful. Um, I guess just to get us started, um, can you walk us through your path? from, you know, studying chemical engineering, I believe is, is um, what you went into a long time ago, to then ending up uh, what you're doing today, namely um, teaching breathwork to so many people around the world. Um, what was that path like? Yeah, well, um, my original education was in chemical engineering, as you said, many, many years ago. <laughs> and I was just kind of on this... Um, I, would, I don't know how to even describe it, like this kind of normal pathway. I had in my mind that my life was going to be just like my parents. Uh, I was going to get into my 30s. I was going to get married, have kids, and just kind of, you know, that was my imprint from childhood about how my life was going to work. And so I graduated from school and then uh, got a business degree and ended up going to um, Europe because uh, my company got bought by a French company. And on the surface of it, it's like everything looked really good. It's like I was doing well in my business. Um, I was dating, and but there was something missing, and I couldn't exactly figure out what it was. That's the. <clears throat> and then, at a certain point, I got to a point where I was uh, dating someone, and then it was like the time to get married. It was like when my parents had gotten married. I was following my imprint. And so I got married, and that broke up after two years because it was like it never works when you do something based on an imprint and you just kind of pick the person at the time. They, sh they show up at the right time and you move forward. So uh, that didn't work out, and that completely blew up my like life imprint because I'm like, oh, my God, it's too late. I'll be too old to have kids. I'm, you know, This isn't going to work like my parents did. So at that point, it really threw me into this kind of, okay, I've got to look in another direction here. This This is not going to happen the way I had planned in my mind. And <clears throat> so I ended up uh, quitting my job in, in France and coming back and 
the first thing was I started my own business, which is something that I had never thought I was going to do. But it was kind of like I was starting from scratch and reevaluating all of the decisions that I'd made in my life. And I found, wow, this is something I really like. This is something that, you know, I can make my own decisions. I don't have to, uh, I, I want to take responsibility for my life and my own decisions and not be where if it fails, it's someone else's fault. It's this and that where someone else is taking responsibility. So I was just learning more about myself and moving forward in my life. And, but still there was something missing. And I, I couldn't really um, create a good relationship. They all kind of ended in uh, drama and trouble, basically. And where I was always thinking, oh, I'm just picking the wrong people. And at that time, I didn't realize that the one common denominator was me, not the other people that <laughs> didn't come to me at that point. So, um, and I was also very fascinated by, just because of my science background, I'm a bit of a science geek. So... I was always quite interested in like how my mind works, how consciousness works. And there wasn't really any good answers out there back when I was a child of, uh, it was really a huge mystery. So at a certain point, um, I was still like starting businesses and then growing them and selling them. And uh, I met this uh, girl that I wanted to date and, but she was still living with her ex-boyfriend. I'm thinking, okay, I'll just have to wait. And then one day she came to me and she said, uh, I want to go down to Peru. I'm going, hmm, I had zero interest in going down to Peru. And beyond that, she said, I want to go down to Peru to see pink dolphins. I'm going, what? <laughs> What's a pink dolphin? Anyway, I'm going, okay, whatever. We'll, we'll go see pink and pur purple dolphins. Uh, I'll just go down there. I'll be able to hang out with her for a week. So it'll be good. So I ended up going down to Peru. and We went to this uh, kind of um, reserve that this uh, woman had bought to protect the Amazon. And so it was like a plane ride, then this, then that, then a canoe ride. We were out in the middle of nowhere. And we ended up, it was just me and her and a couple of the people that were um, cooking and running the place. And then we brought out this little sh local shaman with us. And <clears throat> the first night, the shaman comes up to us and says, uh, would you guys like to participate in a religious ceremony? What do you do down here? So I'm like, well, what is it? You know, I was intrigued. And this is all through a translator. The guy didn't speak any English. He was about 4'10", you know. And so he said, oh, it's very simple. I just go out in the rainforest, and I get some vines and some leaves, and I boil them all together, like in this little witch's brew, and you drink it. And then you have an experience. And my initial inclination was, you know, like, I'm a chemical engineer. It's like you mix 0.52 grams of this and 0.52 grams of that. I'm going, no way. <laughs> I'm like a four-hour canoe ride from anywhere. No one speaks English here, barely. It's like, you, th you think I'm going to drink this witch's brew from the forest? So I'm ready to tell them we're not interested. But this woman that I went with said, yeah, let's do it. I'm like, oh, no, now what do I do? You know, I went through all this trouble to come down here to, to like, kind of look good to her. Am I going to wimp out or not? So I was, like, just struggling in my mind. You know, the, like the logical versus the emotional, back and forth, back and forth. Yes, no, yes, no. So finally I said, okay you know what, I'm in the Amazon, I'm in the rainforest, could be worse places to die if this goes wrong. So, <laughs> so anyway, so I ended up uh, going on this journey, which turned out to be, was ayahuasca, which I'd never heard of at that point. And it was really my first experience in my life that I had of feeling connected, like really part of everything. 
And at that time, I didn't really know what the mechanism of that was and why I'd felt like that before. It was more like this kind of unconscious thing that was running me. But it was just this amazing experience that I had that really opened up a new way of um, being in life almost. And so it totally blew my mind. It, 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 and when I got back, like the whole thing with, with the woman didn't work out. So, so that was okay, though. She, she got me down to Peru. But then when I got back, I'm going, okay, you know, my little science mind took over. And uh, all right, if I can have this experience with a substance, the receptors have to be there in my brain. So there must be other ways of, act, of activating those receptors. So I kind of went out on a search to see, you know, what other people had done, what research they'd done um, with, you know, more natural ways to access these kinds of experiences. And that's what uh, brought me to holotropic breathwork. And I went through looking at a lot of different modalities. And most of them really discouraged me because it was kind of like the person who had started it, you would kind of read a little bit about them, and they'd say, oh, one day I just downloaded this from the universe, and it works. <laughs> I'm going, not for me. <laughs> I'm not into the universal downloads. So let's see some science. <laughs> and then finally, I came on holotropic breathwork, which I loved because it was created by a psychiatrist. It was created by, who was Dr. Stan Groff, and he had actually worked for a significant period of time back in the day with LSD psychotherapy. And then when it was um, banned, he then went on his own journey to find out what is a more natural way to have the same experience because he was having such good experiences in therapy with it. And what he found was that many times people who he'd worked with for maybe years with talk therapy and gotten stuck at certain points, when he was working with them in a controlled setting, you know, with, with LSD where they were just laying there in a very relaxed space, they would open themselves up and allow stuff to be processed and, and, and worked with that were blocked by the ego mind during, during talk therapy because everything's kind of running through your thinking mind. And, you know, in talk therapy, part of it's always about, oh, I want to look good to the therapist. I, wanna, I don't want to, you know, show them my dark side kind of thing. So he was getting these amazing results, and then he wanted to um, find other ways to do it safely w without the substance since he couldn't use the substance anymore. <clears throat> and one interesting thing that he'd noticed was that at the end of his LSD psychotherapy sessions, when people were starting to come down, many times people started just automatically deepening their breath to try to stay in the process. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of one of his clues of one of, of what could possibly work to kind of put people in these spaces. And then he did research um, in terms of uh, what historical societies had used, like shamanic societies and stuff, and uh, consciousness theory. And then he put together these groups at Esalen that he worked with for periods of 30 days over a period of time just to try to develop the ideal one-day structure to allow people to safely drop as deeply as possible into these types of experiences. And the interesting thing is he found the common threads when he looked at these historical societies was that breath was very commonly used. And, you know, if you look at it, like, for instance, even in Buddhist meditation, it's watching the breath. So, you know, breath is kind of this very common thread of when people go into these states and also um, some type of uh, sound. Like in shamanic, uh, they use, like, rattling or drumming, you know, to get into these kind of trance states where they, where they connect to this... Uh, whatever they connect to and then bring back 
to, to their clients. So he played with different types of uh, breath, different types of breathing techniques, uh, different types of sound and music to see what is the ideal structure to allow people to have these experiences. And that's kind of how his holotropic breathwork was born. And holotropic comes from two Greek words, which is holos and trepane, which is moving towards wholeness. And so what he found is basically that the psyche always has this kind of intrinsic desire to be whole, you know, to be complete, to be healed, to be fun completely functional. It's just that we get in the way with our, with our thoughts, with our ego mind, with, with these kind of things that we push into our body that don't let it do its work. So during the breath work, he found that this kind of ego mind kind of dissolved away a bit so that people could get more in touch with this really amazing um, inner force that they have and, you know, get the experiences that they need that uh, would help them move towards wholeness. And that, so that's how I got into holotropic breath work. <laughs> what a story. I love it. <laughs> it's awesome, Michael. Thank you for that. Uh, Stan Groff is such a legend and it's amazing to have learned so much from him. I mean, what was it like to study with him? Yeah, uh, back when I was doing the uh, training, because, you know, after I first um, did a couple sessions myself, I had, again, like really powerful sessions. And um, I got to the bottom of, I even actually got to the bottom of, after a few sessions, where this whole thing about feeling unsafe in the world came from. And, you know, that had been like running my life for for decades and creating constant problems in my life uh, with relationships, with everything. Because, I mean, just imagine if you're um, trying to be in a relationship and you don't feel safe in the world, so you're not going to trust the other person, how are you possibly going to have a healthy relationship? Because mm. you're never going to let yourself fully, fully open up because you don't feel safe. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in, in these breathwork sessions, I got to the bottom of the fact that when I was growing up, uh, both of my parents are Nazi Germany escapees. And, you know, they barely made it out with their lives. And, the, and their families had really been ensconced in Germany for, for centuries. Mm -hmm. And like my um, grandfather won the um, Iron Cross for Germany in World War I, which is like the highest honor they can give, you know, when he was uh, in the war. And um, one of my other ancestors kept their town from being like overrun by Napoleon by paying him off to go around and not burn it down. And then one day they had to run for their lives. And they never told me like, oh, the world's an unsafe place. But it's kind of like when you're a child, you create these stories and meanings around things that you hear. So, you know, when I was hearing these stories, I created this kind of, um, or these things that my parents said, I created this story in my own mind. Oh my God, it's like, they were there for hundreds of years. They were part of society. And then one day they, they were just chased. And I made a decision at that point, the world's an unsafe place. You can't trust anybody, you know. If you, if you can't trust your society in that situation, how can you trust anybody? And that was an unconscious decision that I made that, that was really keeping me from being successful in so many things in my life. And I got to the bottom of it in breath work. And once you get to the bottom of it and see that it was just a story you created when you were a child, you can start to work with it and create a new, more empowering story that actually moves you forward in life. So once I saw that, I'm going, okay, I've got to be a facilitator. I've got to give other people these experiences. So I went through like their um, three-year facilitator training program uh, and then started, uh, you know, doing my own workshops. And at that time, Stan was uh, leading many of the um, 
you know, retreat modules that were required for the course. And it was just really an amazing gift to be able to, I was, he was just like my idol, you know, because he'd really stepped out on a limb in uh, psychiatry and really come out with some of these theories that were very unpopular at the time. And he just had such tremendous courage in terms of kind of going, going his own way and bringing this new way of, of looking at things to the psychiatric world. So he was kind of like my idol at that point. It was just, I felt so blessed to be able to actually learn from him and, and hear him. Like, this, this is the person who created this modality. And this is the person who really broke through certain areas in psychiatry that were really stuck, you know, for, mm -hmm. for decades. So it was just a very wonderful experience. I'm very grateful to have gone through it at that point. Wow, oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Um, how long ago is this now? When did you uh, train with him? I, I certified in, um, see, it was 2009. So I trained with him from like about 2006 to 2009. Yeah, wow. Fascinating. And maybe you can tell us from your perspective and, and your experience and also learning from Stan Groff, but, you know, how does breathwork work and what is the current scientific theory behind it? It's, it's not a simple one-dimensional thing that makes it happen. There is really a combination of several different influences that kind of intertwine in a very wonderful way to create the experience. And the first thing is, is that um, there's certain things that happen in your body physiologically when you do this faster, deeper breathing that support the experience. And ba way back when it was first developed, like that wasn't very well understood. It's much better understood right now. And there's a, a part of your brain that's called the default mode network, or DMN. And that's part of that um, default mode network is the frontal cortex. And it, it includes the part of your brain that is responsible for creating the concepts of like self and ego, these kind of identities that, uh, that are, you know, in your brain, basically. And... <clears throat> So when you do this faster, deeper breathing, what happens is your blood gets a little more alkaline and it kind of shifts and changes the amount of oxygen and blood that goes to various parts of the brain in a very kind of gentle way. So it's completely safe, but it does create where there's less activity in this default mode network. And when there's less activity in the default mode network, then this kind of part of your brain that's the ego mind can be at least to a great degree deactivated. And that's what allows you to connect to this kind of inner guidance, to this uh, part of yourself that you normally are disconnected from by this kind of ego mind that's constantly talking in your head. So that's kind of the first part of it. And then the second part of it is that one of the most powerful things you can do is give yourself permission to do something. And <clears throat> your psyche listens to you. And when you tell yourself it's okay to release, it makes a huge difference. We're always telling ourselves it's not okay to release. It's like suppress this into your body. Look good. You know, don't show emotions. Don't be weak. It's like uh, don't risk failure. These are the things that we're constantly like pushing back into our, into our being and into our body. And when at a certain point you just say, you know what, forget everything you're talking to your psyche now. Forget everything I've told you my entire life. It's okay. Just let it come. I'm ready to bring it on. I'm ready to experience this, let it out, and release it. It just has this tremendously powerful effect. 
And so many times in the breath work, even before people start doing the, doing the breathing, even before the music starts, people actually start dropping into their process just by allowing themselves to release. So when you, when you put those things together, plus the music, and the music is not like, um, you know, in many types of maybe me meditation, they have music that's very soft and gentle and just kind of like, you know, something you might hear in an elevator or something like that. This isn't like that. This is very kind of evocative, powerful music. And it doesn't create the experience, but it does allow you to drop deeper into whatever you need to drop into in, in your breathwork experience. So it is part of the process. And uh, so those three things, when you kind of weave them together, are what ultimately uh, create the process and make it work. Beautiful. And Michael, you were so far ahead of the curve with online breathwork and one of the first people to start offering breathwork online and your neurodynamic online breathwork is one side of your business and then there's your holotropic breathwork LA practice. What are the differences and how did you know sort of to set up two very different businesses um, and how have those evolved over time? Um, you know what, I, I wish I could say I had known from the beginning that that's exactly what I needed to do. <laughs> But I had no idea when I started this out. I was just, and especially since, you know, in the holotropic paradigm, in, in the way that Stan created it, it's like part of the structure is you have to have a facilitator there. It's like you can't do it alone. You know, that's part of, you know, he created a certain structure. It's a structure that you have to follow from A to Z if you want to call it holotropic breathwork, and it's what he designed personally. And part of that is it's got to be done in person, You've got to have a facilitator there. You've got to, um, uh, you have sitters. So in other words, there's a breather and a sitter. So there's a whole structure that's created. And that's what I did for, you know, uh, a decade. And I wasn't even thinking about online breathwork. And it was kind of like, you know, because that was the paradigm that I'd learned. You know, and that's, okay, this is how breathwork's done. And so... Um, people were having these amazing experiences, and my biggest frustration was that I couldn't reach as many people as I wanted to. You know, doing an in-person online or an in-person holotropic breathwork workshop, it's, it's an all-day experience, and you have to rent a huge venue because people are laying down on mats. You know, you have to, um, it has to be people that can get to the venue, or they have to fly in if they're from another space. And so it's, it's, and you have to basically have the way it's structured is you, you need one uh, trained facilitator for every 10 participants. So you have to be flying people in to, to help support the process. So it's a major project. And it was just like, it, it wasn't, I'm doing other things. I, I did do some sessions, but even at the best, it's like organizing a workshop like that for 40 or 50 people is, um, takes an, a tremendous amount of energy and work. And I was... I mean, it wasn't like I was complaining about it. It was fine, but it, I was just frustrated that I couldn't reach more people. And also, I was getting so many people who once said, you know what, I'm having this amazing experience. I don't want to wait another month or two for another experience. I want to really turn this into a practice, like a yoga or something like that. You know, what can I do? And I really had no answer for them. You know, because I was the only person doing it in Los Angeles, and I was doing my workshops maybe four or five times a year. And so... You know, I didn't, at that point, I would just say, at this point, it's, it's not available in that structure, basically. So, 
Um, and then at, at a certain point, and, and this is this is a bit hard to describe, but I just kind of got this. Uh, it was actually in one of my own breath experiences. I got this download that, you know, part of my I don't you know mission sounds a little bit intense, but part of the reason that I was kind of put on earth was to really do this breath work because I could just see that it was one of my talents and skills to allow people to feel safe during their sessions. It was just one of the things that I did well, and that. I had to figure out a way to, to really spread this more throughout the world and really you know, create many, many people experiencing breath work and so that they could come back and make a difference in their, own, in their own worlds, with their own people around them, and in their own communities. And I mean, I just saw like the people that I was having doing in-person breath work with, they would go out and they would make a difference with their families. They would shift how they were being with their families and with their friends. And like at that point, I said, okay, you know, this is a way that I can personally really have an impact on the consciousness of the world if I can figure this out of how to get not just 50, 100, 200 people, 300 people doing breath work, but tens of thousands or millions of people doing breath work. So I said, so I just said, I don't know how to do that in this moment, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to figure it out. And, you know, part of my whole science geek thing is I'm really super interested in how the mind works. And that's, you know, that's another thing that I do. I have this course on like uh, training, it's called Train Your Brain, about how to work with kind of your, what's going on in your mind and how to you know, kind of unlock your potential and that type of thing. But it's kind of like, part of it is, is that if you tell your mind to solve an issue, to solve a problem, even if you don't think it's solvable, it will start working on it. If you can envision it, if you can see it and say, this is where I want to get to, even if it's like crazy big goal, you know, your mind will start working on it and you'll start to get some, some answers, basically. You know, it's like I didn't used to set my goals big enough. I mean, that was really what, you know, in my life. So like, yeah, my brain would figure it out. But when I got there, it wasn't like where I ultimately wanted to get to. So this time I said, okay, I'm going to get breath work to 10 million people. That's my goal. And my ego mind originally goes, are you kidding me? <laughs> what are you talking about? You're going to go to from 50 to 10 million? <laughs> so, but, you know, I just kept saying, yes, that's my, that's what I'm going to create. And then it's like, you know, like when my brain started to work on the issue, it was so clear. The only way to do that is online. It's the only possible way. It cannot be done in person. If you really want to um, work with like large numbers of people and allow them to really have these experiences. And, you know, it was also like, okay, it's got to be done online. And it has to be done in a way that's convenient and also where people can afford it, where it's, where it's inexpensive, basically, so that anybody who wants to do breath work can do it. So, you know, that's when I started saying, okay, I've got to see if this works. And, you know, my original conditioning is it can't work because it's like it had to be done in person. You know, that's what I learned in my training. You know, you have to have a facilitator there. People won't drop into their processes unless there's someone right there in case they need help kind of thing. Um, or it's not safe, or this or that, you know, all this stuff. So I'm going, okay, I'm going to try this for myself and see what happens. And so I went through this whole process of research and seeing what was already being done, and then also working with groups of people, you know, just like Stan did. I kind of copied Stan in this, I have to say, you know, where he worked with groups of people for a long period of time at Esalen before he kind of launched holotropic breathwork. And so I grabbed some people from my in-person community and also some new people who were interested in breath work. 
and started practicing to see what would happen. You know, when they're like laying in their bed with their headset on and doing online breath work. And um, one of my concerns also is one of the things that allows in-person breath work to really be so effective is that people really feel the energy of the group. And it gives them permission. When other people are releasing and dropping into their process, it gives them permission to drop in too. And so I didn't know if that would work online. You know, like, again, my logical mind said, no, that can't work online. <laughs> it's like people are all over the place. And, they, you know, they're not there. They don't feel the energy. And so I went, oh, let's just try, you know. So basically I did try. And I started working with very small groups. Started with 10, 15, 20. And just getting feedback reports each time, what worked, what didn't work. Try to see, okay, how long should the session be? What information do people really need to feel safe before they start? Because um, I work with some beginners too. Um, you know, how, what should happen after the workshop to make sure people were complete? And just really went through the whole thing for probably about half a year. Uh, you know, until I felt like I was really comfortable and confident that, that the product that I was putting out would work effectively. And then I just put it out there. And, and what I found was that um, people could have the same types of experiences as they did in in-person breathwork. And people could also feel the sense of community. And if you prepare them properly, and that was the key thing. I just, what I saw was it's like, you have to prepare them more carefully in, in a more in-depth basis in online breath work so that they're ready to really drop into their experience. And, you know, so that when emotions come up, they feel safe. When um, things that they may not be comfortable with in their body come up, they feel safe and they're ready for it. And they see it in a way that's supporting them moving forward in their life and not as something that's like scary and they should pull back from. So the most, it isn't even just in the breath work itself. The key factors are the preparation, and the what I call the integration afterwards. And all those factors have to be in place for it to work effectively. So, um, yeah, that, so that's how it got started. And, and again, originally, I, I had my own doubts, and but it's kind of like I have this science mind. I'm going, okay, let's just try it out. That's the only way you're going to know. And it, it totally works. And um, uh, Stan has this uh, theory that basically... You know, everybody has this, what he calls it, uh, I think he called it inner healer. I, I call it more like inner intelligence, inner guidance. And there is now some science behind how that actually works by, you know, it's kind of, we have this body wisdom that runs our body 24-7 that our mind has nothing to do with. And we have this also kind of connection to what I'd call this kind of universal field of information that's out there. And there's quantum science explanations of it now. There didn't used to be. So it was just kind of like, okay, we don't know why this works, but it works. But now there's actually some science behind it. And basically what Stan theorized was that um, if you're not ready to experience something in the set and setting that you're in, it's not going to come up. So it was one of the fundamental principles of holotropic breathwork not to go into the process with any intention or expectation. Because you, what your ego mind thinks that you're ready to work with, you may not be ready to work with. It may not be ready to process. If it's not going to be ready to process, it's not going to come up. So it's really about trusting and surrendering to what wants to come up and what your this kind of inner guidance is going to bring up in any given session. 
So it's uh, in online breathwork, you know, it seems that that's the same. It's like people have the deepest experience they can in that structure, in that setting. And they have extremely powerful experiences. I, I know you guys have, have already, you know, been in the breathwork sessions. You have had some experience with it. Lots of them. And <laughs> yeah, and it's really like people, first of all, people absolutely feel the energy of the group. Mm -hmm. And they say so in the sharing afterwards. And it's just like, you know, one of the things that I think is so powerful and so important about breathwork in this time in the world is that, you know, right now, um, different countries are kind of pulling apart. And it's kind of like me first, you know, we're going to take care of ourselves. It's, it's like, it's really like for a while, people were moving together with the EU and with, you know, it was more like we're in this together. And it's really going in the other direction right now. And uh, in, in many parts of the world, it isn't just in one part of the world, there's this kind of energy around that right now. And sometimes people tend to forget that we're all the same on a very fundamental level. And part of what is so important to me and so powerful about this breath work is in these sessions, you have people from 20, 30, 40, 50 countries participating together and kind of like committed together to, to their own personal work and bringing it out into the world. And people just see on, a, on such a fundamental level, we're all the same. We all want, want what's best for us and really for everybody. And we're all in this together. So I just feel like right now is really an important time to, um, you know, have this in the world and to and to allow as many people as want to to experience it. So you know that's that's kind of a <laughs> a short explanation. <laughs> no, this is great, and and just also seeing how your online breathwork offering within your dynamic breathwork has been developing uh, over the last few years. Because I remember when you started out these experiments uh, and I got your emails and and then I got my partner in the time into it because she was going through some sound like, you know, Michael is doing these like online breathwork experiences. Maybe you should check it out. And um, and then uh, and then seeing uh, before the whole Corona thing and then just how it all just exploded, like in the best possible way for for you, for all of us. Right. And like hundreds and hundreds of people joining these sessions and the beauty of like you were saying all these people from around the world and and man it is i mean there is something about being connected together in that space that you create that is very special you know and um with people from all over the world and and yeah it's special every time so <laughs> it definitely does the job and i'm really really grateful for that yeah. so beautiful it, it, I, I echo that, Michael. It's just been so special to be part of this. And thanks to Connie for introducing me to you and getting into uh, my favorite day for your online sessions is Sunday. Uh, and just now there's a Sunday Breathers group in WhatsApp that we, we hop into before and after. And just I, I'm so excited for what lies ahead um, and the training that we're going to get into with you and all of that. But before we get to that in this conversation, I just want to unpack a really special part of the experience is the music. And I know you put an incredible amount of time and thought into the music as a, a guide uh, mechanism, guiding mechanism for the journey. And just the specifically the, the tribal shamanic music, there's no English lyrics that I've ever heard. And there's just a power in the music and a thoughtfulness for how you arrange the songs and the and the tracks to just create such a powerful experience. I mean, how do you 
design soundtracks and how do you think through the music experience to really optimize the breathwork journey for everybody? Well, what I started with was, you know, during, um, for holotropic breathwork, there's also music involved. So you actually get some training in how to put together in holotropic breathwork, the, the music sessions are much longer. They're two and a half to three hours. So you actually put together two and a half to three hour music sets. And they, they follow um, a certain energetic trajectory. And so basically, I took that as just a base and then readapted it and kind of redid it to be able to work in these shorter breathwork sessions that I do, which are just a bit under an hour. And so it is a bit different than the longer holotropic ones. It, has to, it focuses on different things as it goes through. There's different sections. And as you said, it does start with a couple of tracks that are more either tribal or shamanic that have a nice beat behind them. And then it follows this kind of energetic trajectory of after that, it, you know, you, you, sometimes there's just a song that's a little quieter to kind of get you ready for the next part of the journey. And then it kind of builds an energy, to this kind of energetic peak and this kind of like um, with orchestral and many times with uh, a feminine voice, just kind of opening music. And then it kind of drops into more what I call heart music. And then the last couple, three tracks are what I call integration music. Which, which are really supportive of the psyche and integrating whatever your experience was. And it's the music does not create the experience. It's like the breath is really carries you through the experience. But I would say that the music allows you to drop deeper into whatever is happening. So if you need to have physical releases, the music supports that. If you need to have emotional releases, the music supports that. And so it's like not everybody's journey follows the exact tra trajectory of the music, but that overall trajectory is what I found works the best in allowing people to drop as deeply as possible. And the important thing about the thing with lyrics is that anytime there's lyrics in a language that you understand, your mind gets pulled because your mind wants to understand what's happening in the lyrics. And it's also kind of... Um, uh, guiding your experience depending on what the lyrics say to a certain degree because like if your lyrics are about uh, feeling love it's kind of trying to guide your experience towards feeling love because that's what you're hearing so this is one of the fundamental principles of this neurodynamic breath work is it's self-guided it's guided from within it's guided from your own inner intelligence and that's really super important because if if i was doing a modality where it was kind of like, okay, I'm going to guide your experience. And I'm going to talk during this, the music. I'm going to talk about love and peace and understanding so you have this love experience. Then, first of all, um, it wouldn't be effective because it's like then they would be dependent on me. They would have to keep coming back for, for more, like another dose, so to speak, of me guiding them. And, and really the important thing is for people to go out in the world and to feel self-empowered and to feel like I've already got all the answers within. I just have to connect better. You know, I don't have to give my power away. I don't have to keep going to someone to get the answers. You know, if I'm not clear in my purpose in life, it's like I don't have to go to someone and say, what's my purpose in life? Help me. It's like I just have to connect. And I, I just have to figure out how to more deeply connect to myself. And I strongly believe that every person on the planet has something to bring to the world that no one else can. They have your, their own unique gift and their own 
um, you know, just their own way of, of uh, presenting things that not a single person in the universe other than them can bring, and it's just about finding that. Mm. And so, you know, breathwork is one of the ways where you can really connect to this amazing inner guidance and get more in touch with what is my gift, what is really my gift to bring to the world. That is my unique gift, you know. Like for me, like there was, um, there's a lot of things I can do well. I can build businesses. I can, you know, do this. I can do that. But really, for me, what I found my, my unique gift was, was being able to facilitate breathwork workshops and having people, you know, feel safe enough to drop into their experience to, 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 to really create the container for them to have their experience. Mm -hmm. So, but but it took me, you know, forty years to figure it out. So. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but but so basically, it's it's really just the whole. Um, it's self guided and words, and you know uh, that type of thing. Or if I was to you know give my own words during the session, would completely destroy that whole power of the breath work in terms of giving people confidence when they go back into their lives that they they've they've they can deal with their lives. I've got this. I just have to connect. You know, mm. so. So that's that's the reason that, like, it isn't just English. There's no English words. There's no Italian words. There's no French words. There's no Spanish words. Um, you know, and occasionally there'll, there'll be some words in Sanskrit or something like that just because there's very beautiful kind of sacred tracks that, uh, you know, not too many people understand. <laughs> so mm -hmm. if you understand one song here or there, it's okay. But, uh, but, we, but we try to stay away from, um, you know, words in, in uh, languages as much as possible. You know, as part yeah. of, you know, what makes this modality work. There's other breathworks where they have words. It's, it's just founded on a bit of a different principle. So, but the underlying principle with this breathwork requires that during the music, I don't say anything. I don't try to guide, and I don't use uh, music that uh, that has any words in the common languages, which makes it, which knocks out about 99% of all the music in in the world. So, so you're yeah. left with a much smaller. Uh, a pack of music that you can choose from, but it's fine. There's plenty of music out there now. So, mm. well, you're an amazing DJ, Michael. That's for sure, because your playlists are always super special, and uh, they always do the job. Yeah, um, and, and that's the other thing. Even if you like a track, you know, part of it, you know, it's 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 part of like a, a science of okay, you know, these are the rules, but it's also partially an art because because the, the music ha even oh, this is a great track. It may not work in a set. Because one song has to flow to the next, flow to the next. It has to be in this kind of seamless, kind of energetic uh, flow. Otherwise, it kind of jars you out if you go from one song to the next and they don't hook up well together. So it takes a long time to put a put the music together. But, you know, al along with my uh, science nerdiness, I love music. So I really, <laughs> it's something I, I, I can spend days putting together or weeks putting together a set. And it's just, uh, I enjoy it, so. Yeah, no, it's amazing. And uh, there, there's definitely something special about your playlist, having done um, a lot of online breath work and breath work with other teachers also in person and breath circles and whatnot around the world. And in yours, just, they just do the trick. Like, they're just, I don't know, they go super deep because of, yeah, no lyrics. You're not, it's a very pure experience, what you were saying. It's, you know, you're not guiding. There's no lyrics. It's just me and the beats and the drums and the, you know, and, and that makes it very special for sure. Um, and talking about safe container, you mentioned this a couple of times now. Um, you know, how do you ensure this online? Like, I mean, of course, when you're working with people in person in the room and you can, you know, 
whenever there's stuff coming up, um, you can kind of work with them directly. But but how does that work online for you? And and what have been maybe some experiences that um, are noteworthy? Well, at the, and and again, that was at the beginning why I spent you know, many months trying to develop this, because if you don't create a safe container, people won't have their experiences. Mm -hmm. It's it's just how it is in life. In the same way that uh, whenever you dive into something in in life, you have to at least in your mind feel that you can, you can handle it, you know, that, you, that you've got it kind of thing. So it's super important to, there's three sections really. First is what do you do before the session? And what you do before the session is actually the most important thing. And many times that's really uh, neglected in terms of people when they do, you know, different, different modalities or this or that, you just kind of show up and start what you're doing. And I make sure that when people start breathing, they know exactly what might happen. They know exactly how to, how to work with it. Um, they know exactly how to deal with certain things when they come up and why it comes up so that they're even they're, they're like um, kind of thinking mind understands it so it's not going to you know freak them out or whatever and so that they're completely prepared to um, handle you know whatever comes up and that and and you know basically the way that's done is first of all I have a seven page preparatory document they have to read which goes through all the types of experiences they might have how to do the breathing how to um, if you really did ever want to just stop the experience, how to do that safely, um, you know, just pretty much every aspect from A to Z of the whole experience. And then at the beginning of the session, um, oh, and also it, what's included is we have a very specific list of what we call contraindications. Because there's certain people who should not be doing breath work. And there is certain uh, physical things, like for instance, if they have cardiovascular issues, and there's also certain um, psychological, emotional situations where they shouldn't be doing breath work. So there's a whole list of those. So we first of all, we make sure that we screen out the people for whom breath work is inappropriate. You know, so yeah, so so that's really the first the first layer, and then give them a very very detailed explanation explanation of what might happen before the session, during the session, what to expect after the session. And then also, it's like, you know, even though you tell people that they have to read documents, sometimes they don't. <laughs> it's like you can't depend on that. So, so that's really like, like the second layer of safety is, okay, you know, you've given them all this information, everything they need, but now let's assume they haven't read any of it because you're not there watching them read it. So then at the beginning of the session, you know, I go through in a very summary form. It takes about 35 minutes. And all of the important points again, where they can ask questions, where we go through all of the experiences they might have, how to work with them. And the critical thing is most people go through life and their ego mind has a certain idea of how life should be. For instance, life should be comfortable. I mean, as people always kind of go towards comfort and move back from discomfort. It's just kind of like this, this, um, uh, mind thing that happens. And, you know, I keep talking about the ego mind and this and that. It's not a bad thing. It serves a purpose. And it was originally developed through evolution to keep you safe. So in other words, if you're, and your ego mind is what kicks in fear and anxiety when it wants you to kind of stop and pull back. 
if you're kind of not paying attention and walking uh, in the traffic, you want your ego mind to kick in and kick in fear. Or if you're kind of not looking around, you're on a hike and you're walking to the edge of a cliff, you want your mind to kick in fear. And so it, it serves a purpose and it, its basic fundamental purpose is keep you alive, you know, keep you safe, basically. And, but unfortunately, it doesn't really make a good differentiation be, between keeping you physically safe and what it thinks is keeping you psychologically safe. So you don't feel any stress, basically, in a psychological perspective. So from the ego mind perspective, the best possible life you could lead, if you just think about this, this is logical. It's like, um, its goal is to, for you to have kids, basically, to grow up long enough so you procreate the species. It wants you to live till at least your, whatever, 20, 25, it used to be 16, but whatever it is now, so that you can have kids so the human species remains, right? So it wants minimum risk. So anytime you do something new, there's always a risk. And it, it doesn't really differentiate well between like a risk, a psychological where you're feeling like you're like feeling a failure. It's kind of a risk to the ego self, like, you know, or like, you know, stepping off a cliff is, is a risk to the physical self. So for it, it's kind of like the same. So uh, it, the ideal life for the ego mind is if you do the same thing over and over again every day, because nothing bad's going to happen, <laughs> probably. It's like if you eat the same stuff for breakfast every day, go to the same job, take the same road to, to work, take the same road back, you know, you know, turn on the TV, you know, go to bed, you know, probably nothing, nothing horrible is going to happen to you. You're not going to be super, super psychologically distressed and that type of thing. So that's, that's the kind of life it loves, which is great for keeping you just basically alive in the world and, and, uh, where nothing horrible happens, so to speak, but it's the worst thing possible if what your goal is really personal growth, for opening up new possibilities in your life, for taking risks, for like letting go of stuff that doesn't support you anymore. And um, it isn't like, you know, it was like back in history where it was just about survival. You know, for, for most people now, they're beyond that as basic survival. You know, not for everybody, but for most. Or, or at least for... for Many people, anyway. So it depends where you, you know. I guess we're in the world you are and stuff. But the, but there's a tremendous number of people who it's not about that for. It's basically about how do I really actualize my life? How do I feel good about myself? How do I contribute? How do I, you know, fully develop my skills? And the only way to do that, basically, is to take risks and to be uncomfortable. And so basically, it's like, when you do that, you are going to feel uncomfortable, you're going to have this ego mind thing to pull back. So it's, and it'll happen in life too, when you go into a new relationship, what happens? It's like you feel uncomfortable, you feel anxious, you feel anxious that you're going to look bad, you feel anxious that you're going to fail. Um, it's not going to work, you know. Um, and so, or if you go and do a new job, it's like that too. And so in breath work, you kind of have to leave behind this whole par ego paradigm of it's, I don't want to be uncomfortable, I don't want to look bad. Because if that kind of stuff happens, then it's a good thing, not a bad thing. Mm. So it's kind of like, it means that you're actually opening up new possibilities. It means that if, if you feel no discomfort whatsoever, you know, occasionally you're going to have sessions, it's just all floaty, it's all beautiful. It's, oh, this is amazing. I just feel connected. But many times the sessions are uncomfortable, either psychologically or physically. And it's really about preparing people for that 
And by basically having them like reframe those types of experiences that they're positive experiences, not something they should shy away from. And that that's what they're really there for. And on the other side of those experiences is amazing stuff when you can process through that. And like, for instance, if, if fear comes up, you know, what, like something new is happening or something's being brought up from your past or whatever. It's like, if you can get to a place where you can just say, okay, I'm feeling this fear. I'm just going to let it happen. You know, I'm here laying in my bed, you know, nothing, nothing bad's happening. This is kind of happening in my mind and I'm just going to let it come. And you get to the other side of that. I get so many emails afterwards saying, you know what? During the breathwork session, I felt this tremendous amount of fear come back. And normally in my life, I would have just run. It was just intense. But I, I remembered what you said, and I just allowed myself to stay with it. And now when I'm in my life, and I'm in a new relationship, or I'm in a new job, and that fear comes up, I have this inner knowing that I can handle it. It's a completely different experience. So processing through those things is can be one of the most powerful experiences you get. But you have to prepare people for it or else or else they will just you know get, get, go into a very difficult place if they don't if they're you know thinking mind doesn't understand before this is a good thing not a bad thing you know mm. this is something that will support me and if i can process through these things that i normally would not allow myself to process through it will support me in moving forward in my life and i won't be stopped by things that i've been stopped for before and again, not everybody has these fear experiences. So I don't want to make everybody think, oh my God, am I going to feel fear every time? No, it's not like that. But when it does come up, it's an opportunity. And it's, imp it's important to frame it in a way where people no longer make distinctions between this is a good emotion, this is a bad emotion. There's no such thing. Emotions are just signals from your inner being that want to be recognized, that have a message for you, and to be fully felt and released. And so you have to, but you really have to create the container so that people are so clear on that afterwards that they have the confidence in themselves to work through stuff like that when it comes up in the breath work. Mm. So that's part of what the preparation is. And that's why it takes 30, 35, 40 minutes to do an intro talk sometimes to make sure that uh, people are just incredibly clear on that. And sometimes you can have very, be uncomfortable physically during the breath work. And I don't know if you guys have experienced that where you get like um, your body gets stiff and then releases because it's releasing bioenergetic blocks. And again, we're programmed to not want to feel uncomfortable physically. You know, it's like we want comfort. That's just it. It's, it's not a bad thing. It's like how we're, our mechanism of mind, how we're programmed. And we also, especially as children and even as adults, suppress a tremendous amount of emotions into our body that ultimately really keep our body from functioning effectively. It suppresses our immune system. It really reduces the amount of energy that we have to really fully experience life as so much energy is working on suppressing this stuff into our body that we don't want to feel. And so when you start giving yourself permission to release, many times one of the first orders of business for the body is to, re is to get rid of this stuff that's been, that it's been fighting against for years or decades. And it can be uncomfortable. For some people, it's not. But for some people, like one of the ways the body does it is to first maximize tension in these areas with these blockages, then releasing. And many times that can be uncomfortable. So you really have to prepare people for that too. Because So it's really about, you know, through this 30, 35, 40-minute talk, 
making sure that people totally understand what might happen, you know, why it happens, and also what the opportunity is in working through what happens and being like willing to process through it. And at the same time, always telling them if this is just absolutely too much for you, just slow down the breath. Within five minutes, you'll be back to normal. You know, there's they're never forced to go through, but they're encouraged, you know, mm -hmm. and but ultimately it's always their own choice, which is very different than, than like with psychedelics and stuff. If you take a psychedelic, <laughs> you're in for the ride. I don't care what you, <laughs> you know, you, know, you, you can say, this it. is too much for me. Well, too bad. <laughs> you're in it. So, yeah. Yes. So, so, so this is really, um, and that gives people confidence too, when they know ultimately that if they really need to, they're in control, you know, they can always stop the experience if they need to but it just doesn't happen that much most people do process through it so so you so you have this whole you know preparatory phase where you have to really connect with people and so that they understand what might happen they're comfortable with it you know they understand why it happens and they understand what's on the other side so you start with that in the beginning of the session and then during the session there's always an opportunity for people to connect with me through chat in online breathwork. And people do. You know, the vast majority of people just process through, but there's a certain, you know, number of people who they come up against some, something that they get stuck in some level. It's like they're breathing, breathing, breathing. They feel like nothing's happening. And they'll just like open their eyes for a second and I'll go back and forth with them a few times and then they go back into the breathwork. So they always know that if they ever feel stuck or if they feel overwhelmed, they can always connect with me personally during the breath work. You know, so there's always kind of like, like this backstop kind of thing. You know, that's, that's the second level of safety during the breath work. And then after the breath work, there's, first of all, and this is something that I don't think has ever been done, not only in just um, online breath work, but even in-person breath work. It's like, you know, sometimes there's quite a few people in the workshops, as you've seen, there could be hundreds. <laughs> and there's a sharing session after the breath work where people can ask whatever questions they have about their process. They can share verbally, they can share in chat. And basically I go through every single share. If it takes an you hour, really do. if it takes <laughs> two hours, going. <laughs> if it takes three hours. I mean, there've been sharing sessions that have been three hours. And, Amazing. you know, because that's part of the safety container. People know that no matter how many people are in the session, if they have an issue, if they have a question, they will get addressed. And we also have the possibility of people sharing verbally. So if they really have something that they need to be addressed immediately, then we'll get those first. So we've created a whole structure afterwards where people feel safe and know that after the session, if, they're, if there's still something, they're in a difficult place or whatever, that they will be able to interact with me 100% guaranteed. So, you know, and sometimes, you know, a breathwork session, you know, they're scheduled for about two hours. And, you know, the, there's introductory talk, there's the session itself, then there's the sharing. And so, but if, you know, sometimes they go three hours, four hours, whatever. And people don't have to stay for the whole sharing. It's not required. If they want to, they can. And many times people learn a lot from, you know, that's one of the, to me, the most powerful parts of the session. People can learn an amazing amount by what other people are processing through. Because, you know, they see themselves in the other people. It's like anything, any experience that someone else has, 
is in some way related to you because we all have all energies, all pieces of humanity inside of ourselves. So many times people really learn from hearing what other people say and how they've addressed certain things and they resonate with it. And they also can get a chance to see what possibly experiences they might have in the future. Because every time you do breath work, it's a completely different experience. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like whatever's up in that moment, that's what your inner guide brings you. So it's, it's, very, it's, it's really fun in that way in the sense that um, it's kind of like, uh, let's say you're going to Disneyland, then you go the next day, all the rides have changed. It's kind of like, <laughs> wow, this is really fun. I could go every day. You know, it's all different every day. So it's kind of like you're having whatever experience you need in that moment. Sometimes it'll be this very physical experience. Sometimes it'll be like an emotional dive. Sometimes people get visuals where they kind of really like see like they're back in their past and re-experiencing things or it's more of a psychedelic experience. And um, in many ways, like at least in, in, from the common, uh, the current theories, breathwork works in a very similar way in the brain to psychedelics, in many ways with this default mode network. So people do get visuals and they do get, uh, um, but it's not like one is better than the other. It's like your inner guide will bring you the experience in the way that it feels is the most effective way for you to have. Some people are more visual, some people are more kinesthetic, so it's kind of like, it's a very um, good practice in letting go of expectations and just letting life flow through you, you know, in, in whatever way it wants to in that moment. And that's another um, thing that people many times say that doing breath work on a regular basis really shifts how they experience life in the sense that we have a mechanism of mind where when we're in our mind, thinking mind, which is pretty much all the time, <laughs> we're almost never in our body, 99% of the time for most people, um, we're always in the future or in the past. We're always planning. We're always judging and comparing to something else that happened in the past, reminiscing. We're very rarely just completely present in the moment. And that's the only place life happens. You know, life doesn't happen in your head. It happens like in your body, in the moment, what you're currently experiencing. And it's, it's not like it's, it's your fault. It's just a mechanism of mind. It's like your mind is constantly churning. It's like this evolutionary thing to keep you thinking, to keep you watching, to keep you evaluating and judging. You know, it's kind of like the survival me mechanism that developed. So it does take some energy and some practice to get out of that and to kind of be present. And people start to notice in their breathwork sessions as they, you know, even though they say, okay, I'm going to let go of expectations. And then after the session, you know, they'll start to say, you know what? It's like my first session was amazing. I had this emotional release. It was super powerful. This time it was just this kind of gentle processing. Did I do something wrong? And it's kind of like they start to notice, oh, I'm comparing and judging. Oh, my God. It's like I'm doing exactly what I wasn't supposed to do. But it's kind of like as you become more aware of that mechanism, you can bring that back into your life and start to really, oh, it's happening again. I'm judging. I'm comparing. I'm not being present. I'm not being in the now. And you can, and they start to notice when they're talking to someone, how when the other person's saying something, they're not even really listening. They're already thinking about what they're going to say. And they, they can say, oh, nope, go back to being present. Uh, nope, going back. And you start to learn that in the breath work as you start to see that mechanism work. And no matter how many times they tell themselves no expectations, no expectations, their mind still creates some expectations. 
you know, it wants it to be like the last time or it wants it not to be like the last time or whatever it is. And the more you can notice that, the more you can really use that to be just have this really more deep, beautiful experience of your life in, on a moment-to-moment -moment basis. It's just kind of one of the side benefits you can bring back into your life. It's kind of like you bring your life into breathwork and then you can bring breathwork back into your life and shift your mm -hmm. life. So it's kind of like this wonderful circle. Oh, that was that was a good one. <laughs> so many golden nuggets. Damn, yeah. Oh, Michael. <laughs> Can I go off on one more tangent? And you, you go, Michael. <laughs> okay. I, I just want to talk a little bit more about integration because I think mm -hmm. that's um, one of the most, uh, I would say, neglected pieces of breathwork. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, sometimes people have these incredible experiences and then, you know, when you go back into your life, it's kind of like you're overwhelmed by this everyday life kind of stuff. There's pressures, there's things you have to get done. And it kind of gets kind of pushed back. And where if you don't do any type of integration work to really integrate what the experience was into your life, sometimes it can get kind of lost. And so the integration is a, a really, really important part of breath work. And there's, you know, that's part of what, you know, when you talk about feeling safe, people also have to feel safe that if something is going on afterwards, because sometimes people do, after they've kind of opened this weave during the breath work, where they start to give themselves permission to process and release, it it can come back into their life a little bit because the psyche is going, oh, this is healthy. This is great. I'm releasing body tensions. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm getting rid of all this stuff that's been holding us back in our life. Okay, yeah, this is awesome. So sometimes they can get some continued processing and that type of thing, which is extre an extremely healthy way to live life because it's kind of like there's this old saying, what you resist persists. And it's it's completely true. It's kind of like if you just let this stuff flow through you, these things that you don't want to feel, like whether it's anger or whether it's uh, um, sadness or whatever it is, it'll shift to something else. It, you, you cannot stay in that space if you just allow it to come and process through. You know, life is constantly shifting. One moment is not like the next moment. Everything's different. So it's like by suppressing in it, it into your body, it's like you're making sure that you will keep feeling that all the time. <laughs> it's like completely contraproductive to what you want to do. So it's like, you know, so your body may start wanting, okay, yeah, let's process this stuff. This is great. We just had this great experience. So the question is, how do you work with that? You know, how do you work with it in your everyday life? And there's two important things. One is, first of all, just first of all, know that that might happen. And then if it does happen, it's completely normal, it's healthy, and it's a healthier way to lead your life. And the second thing is to make sure not to project it onto other people. Mm. You know, because it's one thing to process anger in a safe way afterwards by like pounding a pillow. It's another person to yell at, another thing to yell at somebody else, you know? So, Part of what we teach in breathwork and one of the most fundamental principles is what we call projection. And in our life, we tend to project the cause of our internal emotional states onto something that happened in the outside world. So in other words, if you're in a relationship and the other person says something and you feel angry, it's like, you made me angry. You made me angry. You said that. You know, it's just this common go-to thing. Or uh, if you, pretty much all of our emotional states, we project onto, onto the outside world. It's like, oh, I'm depressed. I just lost my job. 
you know. So, and the reality is, if you really think about that logically, it can't be true. Because the same thing can happen in the outside world and different people will respond completely differently. And it's never about what happens. It's about the meaning that our mind creates about what happens. So in other words, let's say you're in traffic and someone cuts in front of you. One person will be super upset and start screaming and yelling and, ah, how dare you do that? What are you doing? You know, And another person won't care. And, but the same thing happened. It's just that one person, the first person created this story in their mind that they're being disrespected and that triggers something from their past when maybe when they were eight years old and they felt like they were disrespected. It's all coming up now. And it's being projected onto this person who didn't really do anything. And, but, and the next person doesn't create that story. They just say, okay, you can run in front of me, whatever. You know, it doesn't affect them at all. So it's important, like, and this is one of the things we emphasize, as you start to be able to work more with this stuff in your life, that you work with it in a way where you take responsibility for your emotional states. And it's the same thing as during the breathwork sessions. You know, you're, you're laying on your bed, let's say, you've got your headset on, and occasionally things happen that are out of your control. Someone walks in your room that didn't know you were doing breathwork and, and starts talking to you in the middle of your session, and it, like, jars you out of your session, and you get irritated. So, you know, we always tell people, if that happens, you know, don't yell at the person. Just work with the emotion. It's anger or disappointment or irritation. Go back to the breath and breathe into it. It'll bring something up. Emotions are doorways into these amazing insights you have into your underlying kind of um, mechanisms in your unconscious mind. And so you bring that back out in the world. And then when you have these emotions, like let's say it's anger you start to process, Instead of projecting onto someone else, you, you start to look inside and see, where is that really coming from? There's a story I've created in my life that's creating that anger. And let's really look at, is that story real? Or is it something I created when I was five years old that's holding me back in my life? And is it really time to let go of that? So it's, it's an important, so that's part of the integrations to start to learn how to take responsibility for your emotional states. And then if, if you are continuing to process just understanding that it's completely normal, you might have vivid dreams. Um, there's techniques you can use to integrate your experience, such as, you know, kind of art drawing, journaling, getting out in nature is really good just to feel grounded and to support your psyche and kind of, you know, either completing or working with whatever is kind of, you know, still just gently processing. And then the other part of it is people always know that after the session, if they ever need support, they can email us and we will support them, connect with them, explain what needs to happen, do a Zoom meeting with them or whatever. So we really take care of them from start to finish. Mm. You know, and we also have people can get 30-minute coaching calls with a breathwork facilitator if they feel stuck in their process, if they want to make this into a practice. We set it up so it's super inexpensive. People can do it every week if they want to. If they want to turn it into like a like a yoga practice or something like that. So we, we give people their first session for free if they're just curious about it and they want to get into it. So we make it as easy as possible to participate in whatever way they want to and make it create the safest container possible before, during, and after the session. And mm. it, it just works. It's, just, it's amazing. It does. I mean, I've been doing your sessions for the last six or seven months, like religiously every week, like at least once or twice. So yeah, <laughs> yeah it does work. Okay, and now uh, let's get back to your session, to your question, Phil. We're going through a renaissance of psychedelics. We're going through microdosing uh, renaissance in, in terms of 
psilocybin and in, in other ways, cannabis is legal. People have talked about microdosing breath work. I mean, is, is there a breath evolution happening right now in your opinion? And what is the evolution that you're, you're seeing? Yeah, I, I think people are just kind of seeing, you know, um, even psychedelics were really kind of vilified back mm. in the day when they tur turned into party drugs and that type of thing. And there was no research done on them for decades, you know, because they were classified in certain categories where you couldn't do research. And it's just really recently that, and I think a lot of this was originally um, kind of shifted because of the wars that we've gone through over the last, like, you know, like in Vietnam. And then, you know, there's always these conflicts around the world and people come back and they're traumatized, you know, from all the killing, from what they've seen. And there's nothing out there that's effective in working with them. You know, people go home and they're, you know, like they, you know, like you hear these stories. Eventually they just grab a gun and start shooting people. And there are really no super effective options. And I think that's what really allowed this to happen where they're just looking for some another way to possibly deal with this kind of stuff. And they, and they found with some initial research that there's very, very effective ways of working with these kind of expanded states of awareness that actually do make a difference with people with PTSD. With, and now there's actually some like, you know, legalized research that's being done and I think in a very short period of time, uh, MAPS is one of the organizations in Northern California that's doing a lot of this research and raising money. And in a very short time, there's actually some of these substances that will be able to be legally prescribed and used for PTSD, for depression, and other things. So I think it really was initially born out of desperation, that people just had no idea how to work with these people that were going you know, through these intense states after they came back from these conflicts. And now it's really being shown through science and through testing that this, these things, when they're done in a controlled, safe setting and not like a party drug kind of thing, they really do work. And they really access parts of the brain that need to be accessed in, in order to work through these, these types of things. So I think that's opened it up. And then, um, you know, that's also had this secondary effect on breath work where people, they may have one of these experiences and they want to have, you know, their you know, it's, it's not something you can do every day. And so, they, you know, they're looking for other ways to have these experiences. And then there have been some books that have come out recently that have kind of mentioned, you know, psychedelics and breath work kind of in the same book that have become popular. So I think it's just really now starting to get, over the last year or two, starting to really be more into the kind of mainstream. Up, in, up until the last few years, it's been really looked at as kind of this very kind of on the edge kind of woo-woo kind of thing um, you know, breath work, it hasn't really been uh, um, accepted as kind of like this kind of mainstream thing that a quote-unquote normal person would <laughs> would do. What? You lay down and you, and you breathe and, and, and play this music and just kind of roll around and do things? Are you kidding me? <laughs> you know, like, and, but I think especially now that there's, you know, has been some science behind it too, it's really more people, you know, are open to it. And then when they see their friends, you know, it's kind of like this, this ball or this rock that starts rolling down the hill, when they see their friends start to get involved and their friends start to come to them, oh, you got to try this. This is amazing. You know, then you get more social proof and it's just, and then more people start doing it around the world. And so I think it's really kind of getting into this snowball thing right now. It's very exciting where it's really coming into the mainstream, which is really where it has to go if it's going to make the kind of difference that we really need in the world today to really shift world consciousness. You know, that's really ultimately what I, 
what I want to see. And, you know, it's like, why do I want to have a million or 10 million people do breath work? You know, it's not about a numbers game. It's about if enough people start to see the world from a different perspective, then and world consciousness change, the world will change. Mm. You know, otherwise, we're, we're on a not a good track right now. You know? <laughs> and something, something has got to shift. And the only thing that can shift is the way people see the world. They're, you know, human consciousness has to shift if we're going to go forward. And breathwork is a very powerful tool that can be used. It's not the only tool. There's, you know, not, breathwork's not for everybody, clearly. You know, some people are tuned into that type of work. Other people aren't. Other people have their own pathways. But it's one of the pathways that I think is important to at least, if, if it is something people resonate with, that they're able to, you know, do it on a regular basis inexpensively so they can really get the benefit of, like, shifting their own consciousness and, and shifting the way that they perceive life and their joy that they take out of life. You know, they're, they're being, not just feeling, oh my God, you know, life is horrible. It's like, look at all this stuff that's going on in the world. You start to see the world in a totally different way. And you start to see the fact that you can make a difference as one person. You know, you don't need to, you don't feel powerless anymore. It's like one person can influence a million people. You know, and just by changing the way you see the world, it starts to flow out from you. Every person can make a difference and people start to feel that. And that completely changes how they hold life, how they experience life. And breathwork is one of the most powerful paths to get there. Oh, it's so true. And, you know, to your point about breathwork might not be every for everybody, the people who thought it might not be for them and who read New York Times or Apple News or Vogue magazine, they're hearing about breathwork now, too, because breathwork helps your lungs and lung exercises help build resilience against coronavirus. So I think the time is perfect for everybody and anybody to give it a try and it's not going to hurt and, that's and, for sure. and one important thing about breath work is it's not designed to be you know some things when you do it's like like the person who does it will tell you okay you do breath work drop everything else you're doing in your life this is your this is your pathway breath work's not like that it's kind of like it's if you're already doing like meditation it's an awesome adjunct to meditation mm. you know mm. they work beautifully together because, you know, many of the principles are the same. If, if you're already doing yoga, it's awesome to put those together. And yoga, yoga can be a great way to integrate the experience. It can be a great way to open your body up before the experience. So it's not about, like, pulling you away from anything that's working for you. And there's, there's also, after you do breath work, and you want to, let's say, for instance, I want to be able to work with this more consciously in my life. There's other modalities, like my, uh, my partner, whose, whose name is... Um, Saimi does this work with something called uh, Theory of an Advanced World. It's, uh, it came out of Japan where you can actually do some work to more consciously um, work with these unconscious patterns that are holding you back in your life to self-regulate your emotions and to uh, really consciously discover these unconscious narratives that are running your life. So there's other things you can, you can go to and do additional work on once you've kind of opened the weave for yourself and where you start to explore other types of modalities. So it's just this beautiful adjunct. In, in the same way as in breath work, you weave together music and this kind of openness and, and giving yourself permission to release and the physiological changes in your life, you can weave breath work together with all the other stuff that you do that really works for you in this, you know, wonderful and create this wonderful kind of kind of symphony together. You know, for your so own true. life that works mm -hmm. for you. 
so true. It's a beautiful addition to my life, and I don't think I'll ever give it up again. So, <laughs> um, wow, uh, Michael, I think we could probably keep going for another couple of hours <laughs> easily. Um, you're just such a wealth of <laughs> knowledge and experience, and just love listening to you. Um, and I'm just super excited to be part of your teacher training that starts uh, in July and uh, learning more from you. But yeah, um, yeah, just that's to, the, yeah, that's our newest project. Yeah, yeah. And um, I'm sure you, you'll do more uh, trainings after this first one. But uh, yeah, just to bring this to an end, where can people find you if they want to join your uh, breathwork sessions online or just get in touch with you? Yeah, well, so I still do both in-person and online sessions. Obviously, right now, um, can't do in-person sessions, so I'm just doing online. But for the online sessions, you can just go to the website, which is breathworkonline.com. And on the homepage, there's a... Uh, little uh, button to push that says uh, uh, try a free session or something and you can try it out for free and just see if it's something that resonates with you. Mm -hmm. And if it does, then there's many, many options of how to proceed depending on how often you want to do it, you know, how you want to bring it into your life. Um, but yeah, just check it out and just see, see if it's something that you feel you, you get benefit out of and that you resonate with. And I just, uh, you know, encourage you just like with everything in life, experiential things, I could, you know, we could talk for 10 hours and I could tell you, oh, this person had that experience, this person had that. But, you know, it's like experiential stuff. It's kind of like you have to experience for yourself to really get it. And so just like it with everything in life, if someone asks me, what about this? What about that? You know, if, if I feel it's safe, I'll say, just try it and see if it works for you. You know, what do you have to lose? If, if, if it came into your life, there's probably a reason for it. Give it a go. If you don't exactly. like it, don't do it anymore. And it's kind of like the same thing with breath work. If you feel any connection to it, if you feel like, hmm, I'm curious about that. If you just, just, just give it a try. It's a couple hours out of your life. Go for it. For many, many people, they've had tremendous shifts in their life from breath work. It's completely shifted how they view life and how they re interact with people. And, you know, but for some, it's, it's just not their thing. But the only way to find out, give it a try. Awesome. And for, Thank you so also much, for in-person breath work, if you're interested, oh, Okay, oh, just uh, one more thing. For in-person breathwork, if you're interested in holotropic sessions, uh, it's holotropicbreathworkla.com. That's my other website. But, but again, they're two completely different things. Uh, you know, one is not the other. The neurodynamic breathwork, it's my own modality. I created it, and it's not in any way holotropic breathwork. <laughs> awesome. You're a legend, Michael Stone. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Michael. All right, thank you.